Let's all stand together and worship.
Yeah.
you truly are the one who we adore. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you first loved us. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn and say hello to somebody that you haven't said hello to for a while. continue our study in Titus chapter 2 today, part 2. Um, somebody gave me a bunch of one-liners this morning. I said I'm not going to use any of them. P- people always want me to tell jokes up here, and uh, it's not my yab. Not my yab, but I do have one. <laughs> I do have one. Um, what does a clock do when he's hungry? He goes back four seconds. Right? This is why I don't do the jokes. This is why I don't do them, because they're just kind of marginal. They're just okay. (laughs) The path to godly character in a fallen world, part two. So we're going to be in Titus chapter two. I preached through some of the message last week, and I'll preach through the balance of the message this week. So we'll be in Titus chapter two, wrapping it all up um, today in uh, Titus, uh, the second chapter, and then we'll be in Titus chapter three uh, later on. But in review, at the end of chapter 1, Paul wrote about the corrupt and the unbelieving. Before we do that, let's just take a moment and pray and kind of get our hearts focused. So, Lord, as we're talking about godly character today, um, for some of us, we kind of cringe a little bit. For others, um, we're just anxious to hear and to learn. And uh, so I pray no matter where we are on the spectrum, God, that you would speak to us and that we would have uh, just the capacity to receive from you today. Uh, You are very faithful and so good, and uh, your desire for us is to always uh, be walking in that godly character. And as I've been thinking about this statement, it's never too late to do the right thing. Um, I pray that we would apply that to our lives. It's never too late to do the right thing. So Lord, help us to do the next right thing in our lives. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your grace as we do that, as we at- attempt to do that. Fill us with your spirit and your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, at the end of chapter 1, Paul wrote about the corrupt and the unbelieving. He said they claim, they claim to know God. So this is interesting, the corrupt and the unbelieving. They claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live their lives. So these are people who claim to know God. But they are corrupt, and they're actually unbelieving. So there's something, there's a disconnect in what they proclaim they believe and with the way that they actually live their lives. I spoke at youth this past week. I haven't spoken at a youth group for so, so long. But this was incredible. 
Uh, Jeremy wasn't feeling great, and he was off most of the week, and he's back today. I think you saw him giving announcements, and he's feeling better now. But uh, I got asked to speak at the youth group, and uh, so I get there, and a little trepidation, um, uh, not knowing exactly how to communicate with high school students. But what I realized is that, and I figured this out um, just as I was kind of engaged with them and then in the breakout session afterwards, I, I realized they're just, um, they're, they're godly young men and women who are trying to have godly in- uh, character and integrity in a very difficult place in public schools. And even in any kind of school sit, uh, setting, it's very difficult. But amid very difficult circumstances, these students are wanting to have godly character, meaning they're wanting their lives to match their proclamation, the proclamation of their faith. And so I sat with about 20 uh, high school girls in the breakout session afterward, and uh, I just listened uh, just listen to what they were saying, uh, listen to their questions, listen to their hearts as they just said, you know, we, we just find it so difficult um, at a school campus setting, in a school campus setting to honor the Lord. But when we come together, they said we gather, the Harvest Youth Group gathers in the quad and they just support one another and, and, uh, and they're there for each other. And that's really key. And that's why we gather on Sunday mornings for church. That's why we gather midweek in small groups and Bible studies and homes and that sort of thing. Because we need those pit stops, those moments in the week where we can encourage one another and hopefully be encouraged by one another. So these students were such an encouragement to me. And I, I, and I, I was reminded they're just younger people dealing with all of the same stuff that older people are dealing with. And uh, so there's not that much difference between younger people and older people. We're all kind of dealing with the same stuff, no matter what season of life we're in. Um, for Christians, we're just trying to be Christians in every, every arena of our lives. And uh, we're just trying to honor the Lord in the face of temptation, distraction, Difficulty, disappointment, pain, sorrow, all of the above. So I was super, super impressed with those young people. And um, I told them, I said, this, this faith journey, this character journey that you're on, it's a lifelong endeavor. So we're all in it together till, until the end. So there's a specific path, the path of godly wisdom, that we must choose to develop godly character, that our lives might be congruent with what we say we believe. So Paul wrote to Titus this clear instruction, the path to godly character in a fallen world. I said, number one, step one on that path is exercise self-control. I'm just going to kind of cap, recap what we talked about last week. And you can go back and read Titus 2, the beginning portions of that chapter, and you'll see that self-control is key to godly character. Step number two uh, we just have to choose to honor God. We have to make a, a decision, um, a decision that says, I, I will honor God with my life. To the best of my ability, as he empowers me, I will choose to honor God. Step number three on the path to godly character in a fallen world, we have to own the next generation. What does that mean? Own the next generation. We have to take responsibility for the next Generation. That's why I'm so excited about what God is doing among our young people, the next generation here at Harvest Church, beginning with uh, babies in the nursery all the way through uh, the fifth and sixth grade group, junior high, high school. 
there's an effort and an attempt by the church and by parents to disciple the next generation, to take responsibility for the next generation. And the result is we've got literally hundreds of kids who attend church here and who are a part of what we're doing as a church. So own the next generation. You, you and I, we have, according to Scripture, we have the responsibility put upon us by God to own the next generation. That means in what we proclaim in the way that we live our lives, we must we must disciple this next generation. We see this in verse 4. It says these older women must train the younger. They must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So training happens as our young people watch our lives, as they watch our character. We will never own the next generation if our lives are out of order. There's a couple in the church. They have... Uh, foster kids in and out of their home all the time. And um, I was talking with one of the dads, the foster dads this week, and he said, we've got this gal, this young gal who's in our home, and she's never been properly parented. So she just hungers for the opportunity to be parented, to be loved, to be trained uh, by this, by, 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 an older woman, someone who isn't really her mother, but who can function in that capacity for a season. So she's just hungering to learn how to sew, how to do just things that moms might teach their kids to do. And so she's been hungry to, to do that. Be, she's hungry for that because it's, there's something innate in us, uh, something in us that desires to be trained by uh, genera- generations that are uh, ahead of us. Uh, there, there's something in us that desires to know how to live life and um, in a practical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. So often the generations, the younger generations are just left to themselves. Um, my parents divorced when I was a little guy, so I was a latchkey kid, and so mom was working all day and dad was absent, and and uh, so you just, you, you fall into a ton of pitfalls when you don't have older folks guiding and, and helping you. And my mom did the best she could, but we had a lot of downtime, <laughs> a lot of alone time, and that was not actually very good for us. So the older women must train the younger women to live wisely, be pure, and to work in their homes, to live wisely. Wisdom happens, and I think about the wisdom that I was exposed to, it wasn't through necessarily an older parent, other than my mom, she, she did really well, but my, the wisdom that I gleaned growing up was mainly through older men and women in the church. There was just something that I was able to glean through older people who had walked the path before me. Um, and so there's something about learning how to live wisely by watching what others are doing, either learning from their bad mistakes, their bad choices, or learning from their good choices. We can learn wisdom either way, but how much better to learn wisdom from somebody who's making really wise choices. To live wisely, to be pure. Older women are to train younger women to be pure, and this is talking about sexual purity. And so uh, purity and um, chastity, uh, chastity, uh, chastity, chastity, thanks very much. 
uh, to work in their homes. And some manuscripts say care for their homes. And so don't get bent out of shape. It's actually the man and the woman's job to care for the home and to, to work in their homes. Um, so again, this is true for men and women. Too many women are, are caring for the homes all by themselves. And so I just want to challenge men in the room that um, you've got a job to go out work and provide for your family. But often in this generation, you've got men and women out working and taking care of stuff. And so um, it becomes more of a partnership where men and women just have to work together to take care of the home. And um, there's specific responsibilities that you might carry. But man, don't be afraid, men, to wash dishes. Don't be afraid to do the laundry. Laundry's my pet peeve, by the way. I don't love doing laundry. I don't even like doing laundry. I might even say that I hate doing laundry. <laughs> That's probably the accurate statement. It took me a minute to get to the accurate statement. But, uh, but there, there are times when I'm in there folding laundry and doing laundry and doing that sort of thing um, because my wife's working hard and uh, she doesn't, it's not her job to do everything in the home. So guys, step up and do it. I'm looking around the room to see if it's safe to say this next thing. I think it's safe to say this next thing. <laughs> Your sex life will get better. <laughs> And trust me when I tell you, yeah, everything about your, your relationship will get better. Communication will get better when you're working with your wife side by side, doing the things that, um, that need to get done. So if, um, if you're struggling in your relationship, just start serving. Just start serving in your home and watch what God will do to redeem the relationship, to make everything so, so much better. So there are some specific things that Paul is addressing as he writes to Titus, some specific things to their culture, but we've got to remember that these things apply to all of us as well. Um, again, this is true for men and women. Paul was probably identifying the lack in the churches. So again, he's, a, he's looking at the churches, and there's a bunch of house churches all over the East Greece Island, the island of Crete, and he's seeing... Because uh, Paul was there, and he, he started the work, and he ministered in these churches. And so he's seeing some of the things that he's identifying here. He's saying women must train the next generation. So something was, there was a disconnect. The women weren't training the next generation. And he says, you got to do this. He said, verse 5, to do good, train them to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. Nobody likes that statement, except for the men, maybe. They will not, that they will not bring shame on the word of God. So um, if we're claiming to be Christ's followers, but we're not living according to the word of God, we bring shame on the word of God, and we actually sabotage our walk and our witness. So let's go back to, to submitting husbands, wives submitting to their husbands. Yeah, that's just the order of things. Wives are to be submitted to their husbands. Um, that's just God's design. But if you read Ephesians 5, it also says that there's supposed to be mutual submission. So, and... It also says that husbands are to love their wives even as Christ loved the church. So um, I don't have any problem submitting to somebody. I, we all submit to someone. I submit to the elders of this church and to other leadership. And I don't have any problem submitting to people who are loving and gracious and kind. And your wives won't have any problem submitting to their husbands if they're loving and gracious and kind and if they're godly and uh, making wise choices. So if you're a relationship is sabotaging that you're just making bad choices, it's never too late to start making the right choices and just watch what God will do. Or you can just say it's too late and then you never do the right thing, the next right thing, and then your relationships are always going to be gnarly. So it's totally up to you. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands, but, but husbands need to live in such a way that your wife actually wants to be submitted to you because she trusts you. 
If your wife doesn't trust your decision-making process, she's never going to submit to you. Even if she wants to, she's going to have a hard time submitting to you because she doesn't trust you. So it's up to you, uh, men, to lead spiritually in such a way that your wife would just be happy to submit to you. So, you, men, you should never say, you need to submit to me. I do that to my wife in joking. I'll, I'll say, submit to me, woman. <laughs> and it always goes over so well. <laughs> submit to me. <laughs> she just kind of looks at me like, uh-huh. <laughs> but when I'm gracious and kind and, uh, and, 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 get this, willing to submit to her as well because she's got great ideas and great wisdom and great, uh, got a great mind. And, and uh, so when I'm willing to submit to her ideas, she's, it's just a natural give and take. So um, don't just take one little portion of the scripture and, and run with it. Take the whole counsel of God's word and run with that. Do everything. Are we done with that? Can we move on now? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> verse 6 in the same way encourage the young men to live wisely live wisely this is the same counsel the older men received to live wisely it's the same counsel that the women uh, younger women older women are supposed to do with the younger women help them to live wisely so again you've got this responsibility to live wisely so that the next generation <coughs> will live wisely <coughs> can I have my coffee Next generation wants to live really well, but they're never going to figure out how to live well unless it's modeled to them. My dad died yesterday, and um, sadly, he didn't do a lot of these things very well. He didn't really model any of this stuff very well. And um, so it was a mixed bag when I got the call yesterday. I, as most of you know, I just was out to visit him a few weeks ago, and I'm so glad I went. I, and I, I knew it would be the last time I, I would see him, and I talked to him a couple times since then, but uh, it was the last time I saw him. And um, I was sad for him, and sad for me, and sad for the, my kids and for my grandkids, because they, they didn't really... I didn't really know my dad very well, and my kids, I shared with my kids yesterday, I said, hey, Grandpa Larry died yesterday, or Grandpa Larry died today, I texted him yesterday. And my oldest daughter, she said, you know, I'm, I'm surprised at my emotion, because I didn't know him very well. She had seen him a couple times, maybe half a dozen times. And she said, you know, I think I'm, I'm grieving the loss of not knowing him, and never having the opportunity to know him. So I've shared the gospel with my dad over the years, and he said that he believes, and so I'm just trusting that he's with the Lord, but God's the judge of all of that. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith, thankfully. So as I think about, you know, this responsibility to live wisely, um, you know, the truth is, this wasn't modeled to my dad either. His dad was a drunk. His mom was committed to an insane asylum. Um, so broken people don't do very well in modeling to the next generation. And um, it's just, it's been, a, it's been a tough 24 hours thinking about 
the impact. And, and I've wrestled with being angry and being disappointed, haven't shed any tears, and I don't know that I ever will. I don't know that I'm touched by his death that way. Um, maybe I will. Maybe I'll be surprised someday. But my wife said, you know, thank God that your dad lived because um, you were born. I said, okay, I'll, I'll receive that. And uh, then out of that, we've got all of our kids and our grandkids and in-laws and all of that sort of thing. But I think how much better would his life and his ending, how much better would it have been um, if things had been different? So by God's grace, I'm going to do things differently. I, I think, think by God's grace, I'm already doing things differently. And I, it's never too late to do the right thing. And so maybe you're down the path decades and you've struggled to do the right thing and you're as parents with the next generation maybe you're a grandparent you've got great grandkids and you've just struggled your whole life maybe you've just got toddler kids and you've not done a great job up to this point wherever you are in your journey and maybe it's um Maybe it's going to be, it might just be the hardest thing for you to do in the world to humble yourself and begin to do the right thing, but it's never too late to start doing the right thing. So, Jolene and I talked about this yesterday. If my dad would have changed in the last year and started doing some things differently, it would have made all the difference in the world, right? And I'm 52 years old. You'd think it wouldn't impact me. It impacts us, right? It impacts us. So no matter how old your kids are, it's never too late for them to see you doing the right thing. So think about that. Pray about what the next right thing for you to do is and then do that. You will impact future generations, even if it's for uh, a short season of your life. You will impact the next generation. People need this kind of modeling. Um, Again, my models were godly men and godly women in the church. Uh, people who modeled self-control, people who were worthy of respect, people of sound faith, people filled with love and patience. And the only way a person can live that way and have that kind of resume, that kind of um, that kind of description of their life, self-control, worthy of respect, sound faith, filled with love and patience, the only way we can do that is if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and as we abide in Christ. It's the only way. Um, and so maybe you're here today and you're trying to do all the right stuff, but you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and you're not abiding, abiding in Christ. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, at salvation, you get filled with the Holy Spirit and, and the evidence of that fruit or of that filling is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So if you're struggling with the fruit of the Spirit, and if you're not abiding with God, I would just encourage you to change your life right now. Right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Abide in Christ. It simply means every, every day you get up and say, Lord, what do you want to do with my life today? And maybe, maybe you're, uh, the Lord will say, call your daughter or call your grandson. 
or send a note or love your wife, love your husband, love your neighbor. And then you just do what he's called you to do by his grace and in his strength. You don't want to train wreck your life because you've been too hardened in your heart to call on the Lord for the help that you need. All of us need it. You're, in, you're not alone. You're in great company. All of us need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the strength of God to do the next right thing. So if you've messed up, join the club. If it's time to start over, join the club. Get on board and start doing the next right thing. If you need to apologize to your kids, apologize to them. If you've messed up, own it. Be ready to move forward because you don't want you don't want to deal you don't want your kids dealing with what I'm dealing with. And this isn't a pity party, it's just the reality. Just the reality of the situation. And it's my job to help us not to repeat the junk that's been that's happened to us right the path to godly character in a fallen world number four be an example by doing good work step four be an example by doing good work so all the stuff that we're talking about that's the best kind of work paul told titus also though and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind so get your personal life fixed to the best of your ability by god's grace and that'll be the best possible good work that you can do. And then, you know, also there's good works that you can be a part of in the church and in the community and the world. Um, identify the next right thing for your life and do that good work that you're called to do. Verse 7 continues, let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. So Paul's talking to Titus, who's a pastor in the church on the island of Crete, and he's responsible for these house churches. But what are you responsible for? You proclaim truth by deciding or proclaiming that you're a Christian. So, what, so everything you do must reflect the integrity and seriousness of your proclamation, your teaching. Um, we were working in 102. 102 is our new building that we'll hopefully be occupying in November. And um, there we put up some drywall prematurely because there was nothing. We needed to wait to put up the drywall for the inspector to go and go through and give us the okay. But the drywaller went ahead and put up some drywall anyway um, prematurely. And the inspector came in and said, hey, you cannot put drywall up on this wall. I need everything open so I can inspect it. I'm like... Yes, sir. <laughs> Anything you want, sir. And I really, I apologized to him. I said, listen, we didn't intend to overstep at all. We weren't trying to get away with anything. We want everything inspected the way it's supposed to be inspected. Um, the last thing I want to do is to come across as a sneaky pastor trying to get away with something to cut corners or a sneaky church, right? So um, our lives must reflect the integrity of and the seriousness of our teaching. So so we're going to take the steps necessary to get things done right to the best of our ability and, um, and, and then go from there. Every, every, we, we live our lives in front of everybody. And it's important that 
our lives reflect the integrity and seriousness of our teaching. So we had to apologize, and, and the guy was good with it. But if we didn't apologize, if we didn't own it, if I didn't own it and say, I, I'm sorry, we overstepped. We didn't intend to overstep. We didn't think we were overstepping, but apparently we overstepped. I'm owning it. It won't happen again. That guy came in and did some other inspections for us, and he gave us tons of grace. Tons of grace on stuff that uh, he didn't need to give us grace on, but he gave us grace. There's just something about doing the right thing, having a clear conscience. This is what Paul is telling Titus to do. Listen, as you lead people, have a clear conscience. Teach the truth, verse 8 says, so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed. Uh, then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. So teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Who teaches who, who criticizes our teaching? Those who look at our life and see incongruency. Paul's saying to Titus, live in such a way so that no one can criticize your message because your life is consistent with your message. The people who criticize the church are criticizing the church because we've given them reason to criticize the church. And so we have this responsibility to live in such a way. If I didn't own the problem that we, that we created over at 102, if I didn't own that and said, hey, well, I didn't know what, if I just made excuses... That would have been the dumbest thing to do. Owning it is going to be the best path forward. So teach the truth. Teach what the Bible teaches. And don't give the world an opportunity to judge you. Or, and I'm not going to, I'm going to try to do the same. Um, because of the way that we're living our lives. If we're saying one thing, let's live it. And to the best of our ability, and thank God for his grace and mercy, because there's plenty of times where I'm speeding down the highway thinking, I hope nobody sees me speeding down the highway, right? <laughs> where I'm on the golf course and I want to chuck my golf club because I can't quite figure out how to make it to the hole. <laughs> you know, there's a thousand areas of our lives that uh, we're, we're going to be temp uh, t tempted to blow it and tested. Um, and, and so... Be an example by doing good works. Step five, do all things as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ's. That's where we read in verse 9, uh, Titus 2, 9, slaves. And again, remember in the uh, opening passage or opening day a couple weeks ago, we showed the video. And uh, we're going to see how slaves are actually uh, seen as equals within the church. They still are working for people like uh, you and I work for somebody. We have a master and we have people who work for us who are employees or slaves. But there's the gospel... The gospel makes slaves and slave owners equals. And so we're actually, they were actually instructed to treat their slaves with dignity, with respect. And then the slaves were 
to treat their employers or their owners with dignity and respect. And we'll unpack that as we go. As slaves or employees must always obey their masters or their employers and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal. Maybe the equality that these slaves were experiencing in the gospel were causing them to kind of act out, talking back, maybe stealing or doing some things. Paul is addressing something that was going on within the churches. They must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teachings about God our Savior attractive in every way. 1 Corinthians seven twenty one says this, Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. See, we begin to see the equality begin to take place. The the, the foot of the cross is level for all of us. And God's got no favorites. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Ephesians 6, 9 says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So we have a responsibility uh, if we've got people that work for us or if, or if we work for, for someone. To work is unto the Lord. Maybe you've got a Christian boss and... Um, and you get a little loose with your Christian boss and don't show the respect necessary or don't do the work necessary, um, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Work is unto the Lord. You should be, we should be the greatest examples of integrity in the workplace, the greatest examples of uh, work ethic, the greatest examples of reliability and dependability in, in the workplace, Christians should be marked by their integrity because we do everything as unto the Lord. We don't work for men. Even if we don't like our boss, we don't work for that person. Ultimately, we work for the Lord. And so we need to live in such a way and work in such a way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Verse 11 um, it says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. It doesn't mean that all people are saved. We're not talking about universal gospel here. We're talking about the gospel universally, that the gospel is for everyone, but it doesn't mean that everybody is saved. The grace of God has been revealed. It's been made available to all people. And so we want to live our lives in such a way that people are attracted to the grace message, the gospel message. And as we do that, people will be added to the kingdom. Verse 12, and we believers are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures, right? Again, we must reflect who we are in our actions and in our uh, day-to-day living. Believers are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That's the, that's the definition of repentance, like turning away from godless living and sinful pleasure. You know what godless living and sinful pleasure is. Because it makes you feel guilty, right? You feel guilty about what you've said, done, thought, And so turn away from those things. How do we turn away from those things? Well, we turn away from them by submitting to God every day. Just get up and say, God, I'm submitted to you. Lord, I want to abide in you, and I want you to abide in me. So um, you want to gain such a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that 
And when he tells you to stop, you stop. When he tells you to go, you go. When he tells you to speak, you speak, right? When he tells you to serve, you serve. When he tells you to do, you do. Whatever it is, there's that sensitivity turning away from sin, turning to God so that he might be glorified. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Isn't that interesting? Wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. I'm excited for that day. And I think God wants us all to be excited for that day so that and live in such a way that we can be excited for that day. Some of us are living in such a way that we're not excited at the return, for the return of Christ because we're, our lives are not in order. Live in such a way that your lives are in order so that you can be excited. Jesus will return, and we're closer today than we were yesterday. Jesus will return. So turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Live with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. We should live our lives as, as though Christ is coming back today, but also... Be filled with joy if he tarries because more people will be saved. So if he comes back today, great, praise the Lord. But if he doesn't come back for 10 years or 20 years or 100 years, praise the Lord because more people will be added to the kingdom. Verse 14, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Again, we, we must all do the things as unto the Lord. You must teach these things and encourage, verse 15, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. So Paul's telling Timothy, you've got the authority to correct people. That's what the part of the preaching of the gospel is all about. So we preach the whole counsel of God's word, and sometimes it's corrective in nature. But it's done for the purpose of edifying, building people up in their most holy faith. It's not for beating people down. It's for edifying and building people up. You have the authority to correct them when, when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. The path to godly character in a fallen world, number one. Step one, exercise self-control. Step two, choose to honor God. Step three, own the next generation. Step four, be an example by doing good works. And, and uh, step five, do all things as unto the Lord. With that, let's go ahead and invite the worship team up. We're going to worship some more. And um, we're going to honor the Lord. So let's go ahead and stand up. And so, Lord, as we stand, I just wanted to declare that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That your mercy is sufficient, your grace is is sufficient, Lord God. And so I pray, God, that each person who might be dealing with something heavy in their hearts, Lord God, I know I am, I pray that, God, that we would be, that that burden would be lifted and that we would uh, find grace and mercy in you and that we would uh, find hope and and truth in you, Lord God. So, Lord, where we're struggling, um, help us, Lord God. Where we're in need, help us, Lord, we pray. God, as we worship, free us up, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship.
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. The promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your Salvation sounds to me. 